Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. The pun on words is not lost on me. We are discussing the politics of politics. And while this podcast is in essence a non-political show, I believe we can't escape that politics shapes our society and impacts everyone at some level. Personally, I love politics. In fact, I was a non-executive director on a board to help more women get elected to public office for a few years. And I recall being very passionate about why that was vital for a country like Australia, where still to this day, we've only had one elected female PM. Here is where my guest, Lucy Heath, comes in, who is in fact the inaugural CEO of Women for Election, and she's dedicated to inspiring and equipping more women across the country to run for public office at the local, state or federal level. In addition to training women to run for office, Lucy also focused on engaging more women in Australia's political process and educating them on the various roles they might like to take to help other women get elected. She sets the tone that gender-balanced governments improve quality of life for women and girls and all of society. Lysia has actually had some skin in the game too, and she ran in a very high-profile Wentworth by-election in October 2018 when former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull was suddenly leaving his political seat and helped shape the political debate on a national platform. Prior to this, she spent nearly 20 years in finance and asset management and worked at Deutsche Bank and Credit Suisse in London and Australia. She helped establish Ironbark Asset Management, an Australian-based asset management business. And so with great pleasure, I welcome Lysia to the politics of everything. Thanks, Amber. I'm so happy to be here. Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but it doesn't have to be. Since 2017, I have relied on Zencaster's all-in-one web-based solution to make the process quick and painless, the way podcasting should be. If you know me, I'm pretty obsessed with quality guests, quality content, and quality sound, and that's what Zencaster allows me to do. Not to mention, it's really easy to use, even for my guests that aren't particularly tech-savvy. There's nothing to download, they just click on the link and we start recording. Zencaster is all about making your podcasting experience easy and with everything from local recording to automatic post-production all in the one tool, you don't have to leave your browser to get each episode done. I want you to have the same great experience that I do for all my podcasts and content needs. So I have a special offer for you. If you go to zen.ai forward slash politics of everything and enter this promo code, you'll get 30% off in your first three months when you sign up to Zencaster Pro. That's Z. E-N dot A-I, politics of everything. It's now time to share your story. Okay, young Lysia, what did you want to be as a kid? Did you think you'd be PM? Like what was your early career ambitions? Even if you were like a little kid or a teen, do you kind of remember what you wanted to do? It was all about space exploration. It wasn't PM, it was astronaut all the way. (laughs) Excellent. And so like... What happened to that? Like, where did that land you? You just kind of grew up a little bit and thought, hey, I better do something where uh, the barriers to entry are a little easier or what What was your early study and, and so forth like? Well, it's hard to think about the barriers of entry being that, that different from um, 
female PM to female astronaut. But look, I, I had a scrapbook about space. I wrote to NASA more than once as a primary school kid about whether they could send me a free ticket to get over to Cape Canaveral. So it was it was more than a passing fad, but it did leave me lead me to my passion of of science and I studied science and engineering at university. Never worked in it, ended up moving into the finance sector, which is riddled with engineers actually, and loved that and was there for for 20 years before I decided to make a career change and do something more altruistic. So as I alluded to in my intro, I obviously love politics and I'm really fascinated by it, but the term itself, politics, can be very polarising for people. What do you think about that in this day and age and why do we need to overcome this kind of stigma, if you like? I mean, I've grown up in an era where, you know, we talked about religion or politics at dinner parties, and I just think it's such an important part of what we do as a society and who we are. Why is it taboo and can't we just kind of crack that open a bit? What's your view on that? Yeah, I think, I don't know if it's the word politics that's polarising or more that the the actions that we've seen from some of our politicians is polarizing and I think it's it's the latter and it's it's tended to then infect the word I totally agree with you in Australia culturally we are a bit funny when it comes to talking about politics or religion when it when we're around the barbecue I and I think that's to our detriment uh, my French friends find it so funny because that's all they talk about at the barbecue and nobody gets a uh, kind of steamed up about it I think but I think we've made real progress on this front and that's part of the work that Women for Election is doing too in terms of normalising how we discuss politics in Australia and realising that, you know, democracy is not a spectator sport. If you want a healthy democracy, you have to engage in the political process and that means different things to different people. depends where you are in your life cycle or your capacity Maybe it's to run, maybe it's to help someone else run, maybe it's just to become a more informed voter, but it's so important that we normalise the discussion about politics and I really feel that we saw a lot of that in the recent federal election through the engagement of more people through the Teal movement. Yeah, that's a great example. I suppose just kind of unpacking that a little bit further, I I find it fascinating that we have such a dim view of our politicians and obviously that comes down to who represents us. And I have heard you say in the past that, you know, the system, that pathway to politics, if you like, no matter where you are in the world, is quite opaque and that many talented, capable candidates who perhaps would love to run or have aspirations of some kind, even if it's a seed of an idea that they might want to get involved in politics, can't get their foot in that front door. They lack those networks or even the education and finances that they feel like need to prop them up to help them shine, to have a chance to even win office, particularly if they decide to do it on their own independently rather than going through the system of political parties. In what you do with Women for Election, how have you sort of helped overcome some of these barriers, particularly for women who are still woefully underrepresented globally in terms of politics, even though we have moved that needle a little bit in the last year or two? Look, I think the you're exactly right. The, the opaque process 
has been really problematic for particularly for women getting involved in politics. I think and that and that's what women for election absolutely our mission is trying to is trying to address. The idea that the more transparent you make a process, the more likely particularly women are to step into that. They are less likely than men to step into the great unknown. So women for election runs training events, conferences, networking events to to make that process more transparent and accessible. We break it down to a to-do list. You know, how much does it cost to run? How much, what's the time commitment? How does it change if you're doing it with a major party, a minor party, or as an independent? And how does it change if you're doing it for your local council versus for a seat in Canberra? Let's just put all the information on the table and then people can make their own informed decision about how they they want to get involved. But we have identified that there's five key barriers for women when it comes to running for public office at any level. Uh, We call them the five C's. So the first is what you alluded to, cash. You know, if you're already suffering a gender pay gap, (laughs) then um, you have less cash to deploy for a political campaign. So that's a barrier. Candidate selection is can be a barrier. That's particularly in the major parties, I would say, uh, in terms of pre-selection. Confidence is a big one, the big C, I like to call it. Uh, but I think our training significantly improves people's confidence to be able to put themselves forward. Culture is another one, and that is related to political culture, what we talked about at the start of the podcast there and how we discuss politics in Australia. And then finally, it would be caring responsibilities, whether you have young kids or whether you have aging parents at this point in time, that caring responsibility falls unfairly on women in Australia. And that means we are less, you know, we're less able to put ourselves forward to run. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a long list in many ways. And it sounds like you have a lot of work that you could still be doing. From your personal point of view, obviously you ran for office in 2018 in a very high-profile seat at the time. Was there something about that experience, without wanting to put anyone off the idea of running for politics, that you know perhaps surprised you or maybe surprised you in a good way? Like I'm probably thinking, oh, gosh, there was probably some horror stories behind the scenes in terms of the way in which conduct was happening or people were maybe trying to discourage you from you know continuing your campaign or whatever it was was there anything about that process which from the outside we wouldn't necessarily know or expect yeah look this is this is what's led me to be ceo of women for election because i i was on the board of women for election with you um getting to to be behind the scenes in 2017 i got to attend many many uh, conferences. I got to hear from many politicians, current and retired, and it was, it was, it, it's not lost on me at all that the exposure to women for election over that year, before there was an opportunity for me to run, is what gave me the confidence to step forward. And although most people said to me, "Don't do it, Lysia. Uh, <laughs> you'll regret it," and and they'll go through your garbage and they'll find where your kids go to school and, and hassle them and all that kind of stuff. None of that happened, Amber, none of it. So if there's anything that I'd really want to emphasise about 
about that run that people might not know. It's that it was one of the most positive experiences of my life. So it really, once the dust settled on that campaign, because even though I didn't get elected, I still consider that I won because the ultimate winner, Karen Phelps, adopted my policy platform in full. And that is a win. And it's through that, my own lived experience through that process, that first, it was a positive experience. And secondly, that I influenced the outcome, even though I didn't get elected, made me realize that part of that narrative that's maintained in Australia, which is if you run, it will be a toxic experience, just isn't true. And I don't want to downplay that negative stuff happens sometimes, but I think in part it's maintained to make sure that we don't give it a crack. And and I, I think that that's breaking down. And look, I love the example that you've just given that even though you didn't win, you're not the face of perhaps that electorate, that the things that you stood for and that you advocated for were adopted. So in many ways, that is a win, right? Because if that's why you go into public life is not just to have your face on core flute and be able to open the local school fair with some sort of grandeur, it's actually to actually get stuff done. And it does sound like that that was the win for you. It was. Look, we do a lot of work about different measures of success in our in our training sessions, in our bread and butter training, which is called Equip. And that your measure of success will be different from the next person's measure of success. Sometimes it's to get elected. Sometimes it's to raise an issue that's not going to be discussed unless you stand up and, and, and force the incumbent, force the person that's already there elected to talk about it. Sometimes it's to have a practice before you run again. Lots of measures of success. It's not just about getting elected. Absolutely. How can diversity become normalised in politics? And I'm thinking not just in Australia but around the world. It feels like we're still so far behind. And with what with the work that you're doing at Women for Election, obviously we, that's focused very much on gender diversity, but there's so many different forms of that. I feel like in the last year or two there's definitely been more momentum to have representatives that look like us, that represent minorities, that actually reflect the society in which we all live in. But really how can we make that the norm rather than thinking it's such an amazing situation we find ourselves in or isn't that candidate brave or whatever sort of words we use around that. I think the diversity thing needs to be sort of normalised. I'm just curious about your thoughts and how we do that. Yes, well, there's certainly there's lots of definitions of diversity and while I guess our primary focus is gender diversity, we've just received a federal grant to ensure that we can scale up our programs nationally and really make sure that we are empowering and supporting women from what I would call politically underrepresented communities across Australia. So that might be women of colour, might be women from disabled communities or from the queer community. Young women we really have an absence of young women's voices in our political chambers and also women from regional and remote Australia. So it's not just gender diversity, it's cultural diversity, but that that intersectional lens is really key to what the to the programs that we're rolling out. I think I don't know how many of your listeners would realize, but one of the real barriers that Australia has in terms of our federal parliamentarians, 
sits within our constitution. So section 44 says you cannot be a dual citizen and run for office at the federal level in Australia. Those are not restrictions that other countries, equivalent countries have. And it really has put a brick on the head of our ability to have improved cultural diversity at the federal level. That restriction, by the way, doesn't exist at the state or local government level, but I just thought it would be a good point to show that that's one of the structural issues that we have in Australia that other nations don't have. That is mind-blowing. I don't think many of us would know that at all. So all those sorts of barriers obviously need to be broken down. Just asking a little bit of a fun question now, what in your mind is the best political campaign of all time and why? Is it going to be yours, Lysia, or is it going to be someone else's? And it might be one from years gone by that at the time was groundbreaking and now we might look back and think it was a little bit archaic, but was it something that really impacted, I guess, your attention at the time about a candidate or a party or an issue? Look, it's clearly my campaign, Amber. (laughs) Um, No, look, oh, look, my slogan. (laughs) I loved my slogan so much. You know, Lysia Heath is Wentworthy. Oh, that's fun. (laughs) But beyond that, I think, and we do slogan training uh, in, in our courses, I think AOC's campaign overseas in the US, so Alexandria Ortizio-Cortez, really was an impressive campaign when she was running for Congress in the in the US. So that's a more modern campaign that really didn't only light up people where she was running, which is in New York or even in, in the States, but globally. So I really think that needs to be highlighted. If I think back, a few decades though in Australia, the Australian Democrats that had the slogan "Elect us to keep the bastards honest," that that's persisted. That that slogan is still with us today, and I think that shows a campaign and a value set that cut through just instantaneously. So, so there's a couple of examples. <laughs> They're really good examples and I think everyone should go look them up because I'm always, I just think we can learn a lot about what's worked and what's memorable because at the time everything's memorable. It's like ads, but over time, you know, which sticks and and why does it stick with you I think is an important thing to think about if you're involved in politics or at at least, you know, interested in it as well. What future trends do you see for making this political system everywhere work more fairly and I guess allowing for better representation of who we are as a society. We've talked a little bit about diversity, but I think it's beyond that. It's just basically there's lots of people that would have a fire in their belly that have something or lived experience that they feel qualifies them, but in some ways they just hold back or they feel like it's not for them. What do you think kind of we could do future gazing here that could actually help that? Look, there's a couple of things. One thing that I've seen Actually, one of our alumni based in Canberra, Kim Rubenstein is her name. Uh, She's a constitutional lawyer and she's been doing some fabulous work uh, along with others about what job sharing could look like in politics. So let's, let's take federal politics as an example for a moment. In a country like Australia, very large country, not a large population, still forcing our federal parliamentarians to go to Canberra. What if we had the local member for Wentworth had a job-sharing role where one 
of those individuals would stay in the electorate and one would have the responsibility in Canberra. Like, so there's an example that that could be a future, a future proofing of, of how we do federal politics. I love that. And surely that, because it's what's, what's fascinating is in politics versus in corporate or business life, because I work mostly in that business corporate space, what's happening there is kind of way ahead of where, say, the political kind of frameworks are. Like the fact that, yeah, you can't just zoom into, you know, as, as in the technology zoom, zoom into kind of, you know, have your seat in parliament, that you physically have to be stuck in Canberra, that there are traditions which I can see why they're important and I love a little bit of ceremony, but there are things which just seem useless and we're hanging on to for no other reason than the status quo. I mean, I don't know how you feel about that, but I just think there's just a big gap between where the world is and where I guess the political system has decided that it needs to be. Well, and that's what COVID completely smashed apart, obviously, that it showed how it could potentially be if we were wanting to make sure that those barriers stayed reduced. So to then so quickly revert to the way that we did it shows that um, often power doesn't want to necessarily reduce the barriers, but again, it comes back to our key mission of the work that we're doing. The more we can change the faces in our parliamentary chambers to represent our everyday communities, the more likely that those future barriers are going to be addressed and reduced. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't want to be Pollyanna-ish about that at all, but we've seen it uh, already in terms of the change in government, federal government, changed the working hours of parliamentarians. I, I don't think they got enough media last year, but you can't work late into the night as a parliamentarian now. And and for very good reason. I mean, I imagine no one's at their best after 18 hours in a chamber, and particularly if you've had a few wines, right? Like that's just not going to be the best thing for democracy, surely. Exactly right. But it was tw- it was 2022 when that changed and it, and it took an, a new influx of a whole host of new MPs to really insist on the changes. So, so we can continue to change those faces and make sure that we're getting more individuals that want to increasingly in, uh, ensure that people like them are filling those political chambers. And it's not full of career politicians that are necessarily working for the parties, but they're working for the community. And that's, I think, at the end of the day, what this is really all about when it comes down to politics, isn't it? Like it's really about the people you serve. Well, absolutely. That's that's entirely <laughs> the, the back of, you know, politics and our democracy, Greek words, in terms of uh, looking after the people, uh, representing the people, making dis- decisions based on the people. And, I, you know, I, I don't want to romanticise the past in Australia. Politics has always had a, a touch of cut and thrust about it, hasn't it? But I think we went too far down a, a path in the last 25 years, which was our politics getting particularly adversarial and that really turned people off and what happened is when people turned off it was actually much easier for our politicians to behave poorly (laughs) the less people were watching and we kind of got stuck in a negative feedback loop there for a while but I feel better that we're back in in like a positive feedback loop where more people are paying attention it's meaning the behavior of our politicians needs to improve 
as it improves, more people are paying attention and wanting to become involved. And that's inspiring. What's the best advice that you have ever been given and why? And it could be from business, it could be from politics, it just could be from your family. What, what sort of stuck with you the most throughout your career so far and why? One of the, I'm actually looking at the sticky note that's attached to my wall right now um, that's in my home office and it says, it's our choices more than our abilities that show who we really are. And the reason that that is stuck up on a sticky note in my room is that every now and then, you know, I've been forging new ground with women for election and um, uh, there's been lots of robust and wonderful moments along that. And every now and then I can still question myself about, oh, Lysia, do you have the skills that you need to be able to pull this off? Um, But that, that statement, it is our choices more than our abilities that show who we really are is something that I've really clung to. And do you know where I got that from? Where did you get it from? Don't tell me it was from like a fortune cookie or something. No, it's a quote <laughs> from, from Dumbledore in Harry Potter. Oh, that's, where, that's amazing. Yeah. I didn't even pick up on that. That is where I got that from. So, and I just... I love it and I try to live it and it's something that I want all your listeners to think about too, that it's their choices, the choice that they choose to make rather than their abilities that that shows who they are. Absolutely. I'm sure you've got an amazing list of things that you want to achieve in the near future, but if we spoke again in a year, what would be your number one goal to have achieved and why? It would be to have fully rebranded power in Australia, particularly political power. And what I mean by that, it's just a it's just a little ambition, Amber. And that is because I've traveled the country speaking to women time and time again who are running our communities. They're they're running them. You know, from the from the PNC to the local business chamber to running flood relief programs or drought relief programs for their community or they own their own small business. They're caring for kids or or adult parents. They 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 are the power that keeps our communities going time and time again. And they are doing nine tenths of what a good political representative should be doing, and they do it every day. But when you you tap them on the shoulder and say, you should consider running one day, they go, I do not have the skills for that. And and it is that disconnect that is is something I want us to tackle and I want us to rebrand, that the power that women show every day to do good for their communities is the power that we want in our political chambers and that it's completely transferable. I love that. A final takeaway message for us today as we wrap up our conversation on the politics of politics. That final takeout message is understand that if democracy is important to you, then you need to play a role in making sure that it's safeguarded and it's healthy. And there is a hundred different roles on that. Like I said, it doesn't have to be to run, but if you don't want to run, but you see somebody else that is prepared to put themselves forward, then really lend in and support them in doing that. Because 
the health of our democracy is absolutely reliant on us all being engaged with it. So work out for you which part of that supply chain you want to be engaged with and come and see Women for Election. We can help you determine that as well. Great. Well, there'll be some details on how to connect with Women for Election and Lysia on the show notes. It's been a fabulous conversation. The politics of politics. It's only taken me seven years to do it, but I'm so glad we did, Lysia. Thank you so much for your time. I oh, really appreciate it. Thanks, Amber. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the politics of everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.